0: And they can't take that away from you. They they cannot retroactively. Well, maybe I don't know. So we, we were talking about timestamps earlier. What if they could stamp time?
1: What if they could turn back time? What if they could find a way? <laughs> take a- They would. They would take back those googles that hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> but I would not stay. No, sir.
0: All right. Should we? Should we? Should we?
1: We should. Shall we? We sh- should. We sh- okay. All right. S- last week was the week. Have you been watching last week? No,
0: I'm going to watch it later. Okay. Cool. Hello alleged human and welcome to the Chaos Lever podcast. My name is Ned and I'm very disappointed that no one remembered my construction day. I mean, I mean my birthday, all of you are on notice, especially you, Cecilia. I see you in the back with the cashmere sweater. It's April, Cecilia. What are you hiding? Oh, and and with me is Chris, who is also here. Hi. Let's talk about some tech garbage. (laughs) And
1: boy, were you not kidding about garbage.
0: Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking. uh, I'm so sorry, everyone. Strap in. We're going to be talking about Web3 and i have feelings so many feelings that i didn't even take a look at the word count but it was it was many many feelings now what we're not going to be talking about is nfts yay because those are garbage Boo. there's honestly there's not much to say about them 99.9% of them are a scam and the rest aren't worth it I mean, if you're the kind of person who enjoyed collecting baseball cards as a as youth or hockey cards as an adult, because apparently that's a thing. Yeah, I mean, maybe NFTs might have some kind of draw for you just from a pure collecting standpoint. In the same way that I like to collect and complete all the quests in Zelda Breath of the Wild.
1: No, because that implies accomplishment and owning the card implies ownership an Ah. nft implies i have a picture of a hockey card (laughs) which you can't even hold in your hand
0: Uh, and if you want to trade it to somebody else somebody has to pay money to do it right okay so i i I go back to the rest aren't worth it (laughs) (laughs) most of the purported benefits of nfts can be solved in ways that don't require a blockchain and massive amounts of power and actually that's a through line for basically all of web 3 so we're not going to talk about nfts chris yay but in a way they are illustrative of the core issue with all of this distributed ledger nonsense
1: Oh, uh, do i boo i should b- boo boo. <laughs> boo 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 that ledger Rubbish. putrescence anyway
0: it's, I, I feel like I've gotten ahead of myself, so we're going to need to back. We're going to have to back up to the very dawn of the mercantile revolution and the core concept of money.
1: He's not kidding, kids.
0: I swear this this is worth it, and I'm also sorry. <sighs> so detractors of cryptocurrencies like, like to say stuff like, crypto is fake. It's all just made up money. There's nothing really there. And you know what? While those people are incredibly annoying, and the kind of people who trap you in a corner at Josephine's party high on shrooms to talk about the nature of time, they're also not wrong. Reality is just a construct, man. Well, here's the thing. All money is fake. We made it up. Before humans blighted this blue sphere with our presence, money was not a thing that existed. We invented it. Just like Jay-Z said. Exactly. We, just like we invented society and property rights, these things are real purely because we say that they're real. And most people agree to, agree to support our collective delusion in the fact that these things are real. When someone decides to violate that delusion, we get real mad and for good reason. For instance, I believe that I own a house and the property that it sits on. But if a large group of people decided I did not own that house and threw me off the land, I would quickly discover that my ownership was illusory. He's a witch! <laughs> Burn him! <laughs> I could try and go and reclaim land by force. Sounds like the sort of thing a witch would do. Or try to go through legal channels and ask them to use force. AKA, you know, like police and stuff to give me my land back. But ultimately, the only reason I get to own anything is because everyone else agrees that I do.
1: Are we? Yeah. Yep. So, OK, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Okay. And before we go any further, let's take it one step even further back. Prior to the invention of money, how did we conduct commerce? Because we did. We did. It was, you know,
0: largely through a barter system. Right. Or there was just, I mean, here's the thing. And this has been recently changing in the anthropology world. They've been discovering that societies took a lot of different forms. And some of them were very communal in terms of property. There were certain things that, yes, you did own because it's you made it like a weapon or something. So that took time and effort, and that was yours. But a lot of other things, like the food that you brought back from a hunting expedition, were considered community
1: assets. Yeah, I know. I saw the documentary,
0: So, Pocahontas. Yes, a a very good documentary. Uh, I could see all the colors of the wind, and I bet you could too.
1: The point I was trying to make is, even then, without the abstraction of money, you still had the ability to... Decide for someone else what value their goods or services had.
0: Yes, absolutely. So if I decided that your six pigs were not worth eight hay bales and I offered you two and you really needed that hay,
1: you had to just accept it. Right, especially if you were like, I have these two hay bales and this big hammer. Yes, because otherwise you could kill me and take
0: all the hay you wanted. But generally, society frowns on that sort of thing, so there would be a pressure from the community that you're in to not commit murder. Generally.
1: What about light murder? (laughs) I mean,
0: (laughs) what's a day without a little light murder? (laughs) Okay, so big idea here. We invented all of this shit. The only thing that is actually real is scarcity. There is a limited amount of stuff in the world, and it is unevenly distributed. Money is scarce because it represents things that are scarce until the digital economy happened. So now we're, we jumped forward a lot and I hope you appreciate that. I didn't take you all the way through the industrial revolution and in world war two. We're going back there at some point, but <laughs> okay. It's going to be like an episode of Dr. Who. Oh my God. So digital economy. Let's take an example. An MP3 is a digital file. You can infinitely reproduce it at negligible cost. An MP3 cannot be scarce. Rather than being excited about the lack of scarcity in the digital realm, some folks are terrified because their economic models collapse without scarcity. The answer, of course, is not to reconfigure those economic models. That would just be silly. Ridiculous. No, instead, we're going to introduce artificial scarcity into the digital realm. It's a bit like trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. You can do it, but you're going to make a fucking mess and smell minty. Well, you smell minty. That's nice. (laughs) I don't like mint. (laughs) All right. So second big idea here. Digital scarcity scarcity is artificial and dumb. Okay. Awesome. Now we need to talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Deep breath. Brave faces everyone. (sighs) fiat currency is controlled by- oh sorry I timed that wrong you you really did okay Fiat currency you know like the US dollar is controlled by a centralized organization also known as the government. The government for the most part for the most part controls the supply of currency and there was a time when currency was linked to a real thing a real good. That was called the gold standard. At that time, you could, in theory, trade in your paper money for actual gold or silver. Now, we abandoned the gold standard back in 1933. Uh, Sort of. We actually fully abandoned it in, like, 1979 or something, but... That was the silver standard. We don't have to go into it. (laughs) Anyway, for all intents and purposes, we abandoned it in 1933. And some folks have
1: been butthurt about it ever since. We call those And also, even the way that we approached it even in the early thirties was nonsense. It was not tied one-to-one <laughs> your great grandfather's drunk uncle is wrong. <laughs> right.
0: <sighs> These people that are angry about this are the same kinds of people who think of the 1950s as a golden era, which is, which for like cishet white dudes of the time. It was for other folks, everybody else. Mm, not so much. <sighs> so, What does this have to do with Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin is based off the idea that currency, number one, should be tied to a limited resource. And number two, should be decentralized so none of those governments can control what I do with my money. Those are libertarians, in case you're wondering.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I, I sense the irrational outrage and complete lack of economic education. Okay.
0: There's a whole thing about libertarianism that we're not going to get into because we don't have 26 <laughs> hours, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. So are these two ideas limited resource and decentralized good ideas? Anyone who's experienced hyperinflation might think so. Or if you live in a country with an unstable and corrupt government you might not want to engage with its currency. So Bitcoin is a possible solution to hold your wealth somewhere that the government can't just seize it. Although technically, they really can because they can torture you until you give up your wallet. Or they can or the kill you. Or the people that own the... Right. <laughs> so it's like, it's sovereign, but it's not. Because uh, they have the power and you don't. But anyway... Um, It also does because the the other thing they can do is turn off the internet. Yeah. And then you can't get to your precious, precious Bitcoin that's on a decentralized server. (sighs) And it does introduce artificial scarcity. But just because something is a solution doesn't make it a good solution. For starters, Bitcoin doesn't work for trivial transactions, and it was never intended to. It's not a replacement. A replacement for fiat currency that's in part because there's only so much bitcoin and also because the fees to process a transaction on any given blockchain are substantial so you wouldn't and shouldn't use bitcoin to buy your morning cup of ambition or your afternoon
1: cup and one of the reasons that it's expensive to do a transaction is they also take a while yes they are not Because here's the thing because it's a closed market not every not someone is not always buying which means you could put out a bid to sell and nothing happens (laughs) (laughs) and even if something does happen
0: someone agrees to the sale then the transaction has to be logged on the ledger and that is not instantaneous right because a bunch of nodes now need to compete for that updated transaction and you need to pay a gas fee they call it a gas fee stupid name, but anyway, you need to pay a fee to have that transaction be logged on the blockchain, or at least somebody does.
1: Yeah, I saw something, and it might have gotten faster over time, but I saw something like the average transaction in Bitcoin was somewhere between 48 hours and 72 hours. Yes.
0: With Ethereum, it's substantially less, but still not great. So you would be like, I want this cup of
1: coffee. I will pay for it in 20 minutes. (laughs) Okay. The 11 people behind you at Starbucks just started sharpening their pocket knives.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So Bitcoin is also decentralized and it uses a permissionless blockchain model. That's the distributed ledger thingamajigger. Um, Permissionless. Does that mean that it's grounded? Yes. It cannot go outside. It, it cannot um, play with its tablet, no tablet time for Bitcoin. Um, But it is allowed to do math because that's educational and it does a lot of math. We'll come to that in a minute. Because permissionless means that you don't have to ask for permission to join the blockchain and become an active node. And you don't have to ask for permission to execute transactions. You do have to pay, pe- pay fees, which we already talked about. And the processing nodes need to come to a consensus. Since there's no formal permission to join the blockchain, there needs to be a way to prove that you're a valid actor and you're not malicious. And there's two major ways to do that. One is called proof of work and that's where the nodes get to do lots of math. They have to solve a complex math problem that is computationally expensive so it costs you something in computation. Or the other one is proof of stake wherein you stake out a portion of the cryptocurrency behind the blockchain and you're subject to losing that stake if you fail to process transactions properly. So those are the two ways. Most blockchains, including the big ones like Bitcoin and Ethereum, use proof of work, which is why they consume so much power. I heard a podcast today that said that the equivalent was the entire country of Argentina. Yeah, it used to be Norway, but now it's gotten bigger. (laughs) It's gotten bigger. Good job, everyone. (sighs) Nodes on the network are competing to solve a complicated math problem to get fees for a transaction. The more nodes, the more competition, the beefier your system needs to be to get a piece of the action. And the invisible hand of Adam Smith intervenes at a certain point, which helps set the price of cryptocurrencies out there. At a certain point, you know people are unwilling to spend more money on ever beefier systems and people who can't afford it eventually drop out.
1: Right. Or NVIDIA can't make GPUs fast enough and <laughs> are forced to put time. out software patches that force you to use a GPU for rendering graphics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And that was fun. They're like this
0: chip that you bought to do, you know, cryptocurrency, our software is going to block you from doing that now. <laughs> Cause we don't want you using our card for that. It's was like, that's cute. You know, people are just going to write their own software. Anyway, I digress. So the real issue with crypto, the real issue that cryptocurrency is ostensibly there to solve, and this is like the whole reason behind it, allegedly, is to help folks who are left behind by our current financial systems. Whenever you talk to someone and they're like espousing all the grandiose, great things that cryptocurrency is supposed to do, they usually go with their version of won't someone think of the children, which is won't someone think of the poor. Whether those people are unbanked, they have bad credit, or they simply come from the wrong neighborhood in the eyes of a lender, the folks are currently predated upon by payday lenders, they're denied access to financial instruments, they're oppressed in a whole bunch of ways. And these are like real legitimate problems and issues with our capitalistic society. We should probably address some of them. Sadly, crypto does not address them and in fact makes things worse.
1: <laughs> Hooray? <laughs> or... <laughs> Wait. Hurrah? I'm so confused. Okay, well, okay, here's the thing
0: for all their talk about decentralization, cryptocurrencies are actually highly centralized. I know, it doesn't make, like, wait, but all these nodes, they're permissionless nodes joining a network and they're decentralized. It's awesome. Well, here's the thing. The systems you need to run a node on the network are really expensive. And you know who can afford those nodes? Rich people. The transactions are also expensive. And you know who can, who can afford the transaction fees? Rich people. So now we have what is effectively an unregulated currency that is increasingly concentrated among those who can afford to run the network with no oversight of, or of any government whatsoever that sounds great for rich
1: people do you see it it's only getting worse because like you said this is a scarcity an enforced scarcity and there is an end to the bitcoins right i don't remember when it's expected to get there but it's soon and it- as we get closer to the end date the calculations that you have to do to prove your work get it harder and harder and harder thus making everything you just described worse and worse and worse now if we want to expand
0: this to other cryptocurrencies like ethereum's probably the most popular one even those the vast majority of the miners are consolidated under a, 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 an effectively small number of groups who own all the miners so <laughs> If they don't like your transaction,
1: they can actually artificially reject it. So that's fun, too. Yeah, that's that's the kind of uh, decentralized freedom we were looking for. Exactly. So the net result is that there are no consumer
0: protections for cryptocurrency. Most people don't understand how any of it works. And your average person is much more likely to get scammed than make any money trading board apes or whatever the crap it is. And yet, companies are pouring billions of dollars into crypto and blockchain tech. Heck, the Staples Center, I think it was called in LA, is now the crypto center. Surely, there must be some utility here. No. Surely. (laughs) Barely. Almost every problem that blockchain purports to solve already has a better and more competent solution. Or at least... You could design a solution that didn't cost so much money and ruin the planet. For all the talk about smart contracts, a public ledger, and permissionless transactions, at the end of the day, we are still talking about a system that we made up and folks are collectively agreeing to follow. The moment someone refuses to play by the rules, the gambit is up and everyone is wearing the emperor's new clothes.
1: Well, I mean, at the bright side, at least all of their data centers will be warm. Now, I don't even want to get into the disaster
0: that was Axie Infinity or whatever, where they had $600 million
1: stolen from them, and they didn't notice for 10 days. Well, we can go through decades of, like, at this point, Bitcoin is old, and people have been screwing up massive amounts of money for the entire time it's existed. Yeah. What and- was that company... Um, Mount Gox yep. had a whole bunch of wallets for people, and they just lost them all. And everyone was like, "Well, <laughs> bye." <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, and then there was that uh, crypto couple
1: that stole like four billion dollars or something. At least they got caught, and they did. Get they they, did. they were able to wind that back, which once again. I thought you weren't supposed to be able to do
0: that because it's decentralized. But the thing is, if there's enough people and the fact that it's highly centralized now with a very few brokers who manage wallets and transactions, they're now able to wind it back, which then begs the question, is any of this actually worth it? Is any of it better than our current financial systems? And I think the answer is no. That's not, to, God. that's not to say that our current financial systems are awesome and there's nothing wrong with them. Both things can be true. Our financial systems can be not great and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency can also suck. So I just, You're going to make a terrible politician. I really am. I can't wait to run for office. Okay. So the reason that I bring all this up, the reason this all came spewing out of me is because of the prevalence of web three stories. And when I say web three, I mean, people like to talk about these distributed applications using the distributed ledger and all that jazz. And they're like, oh, it's not cryptocurrency. And like, it's not, they're not necessarily for cryptocurrency, but every other application they've come up with are just as useless as cryptocurrency. I have yet to see one that I'm actually like, oh, that's really a good solution for a problem that, that people legitimately have. So all of these stories are clogging up all of my content feeds and I'm getting tired of it. A startup that I very much admire that, you know, launched, I want to say about a year and a half ago, providing hosting for edge services like physical data center space and assistance with procuring hardware just announced that they were going all in with providing Web3 infrastructure, which like, I get it. There's money to be made. But it also, like, hurts my soul a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe you do have weapons of mass destruction, but, like, maybe don't sell them. I don't. It's not. That's not even a good uh, analogy. I don't know what the proper analogy would be, but, just, like, don't. Maybe don't. Yeah. Just don't. Uh, the Reply All episode I listened to earlier today was about Justin Bieber's fucking NFT bears. And immediate delete. (sighs) It was very sad. There was a Twitter Spaces I listened to last night that had a startup trying to pitch a family crypto wallet. So the kids can do it, too. Oh, thank goodness. Let's get them started early. and, and And the host and the guest were very excited about this concept. And the host asked in all seriousness to the guest... If they thought that crypto and Web3 should be part of high school curriculum, and they said
1: yes. Now that I'm not surprised by, because they have a vested interest in that being as public as possible. But the hosts... <laughs> they were not exactly
0: unbiased either. They Their, their <laughs> Twitter handle ends in .nft. Oh, God. They went further to say that kids should learn about crypto as early as possible. Like... ABC crypto 10123. Oh, that's that's what they they were like, "Yes, this should just this is going to be interwoven into every aspect of our lives." Now, these people have well and truly drunk the Kool-Aid, and they have no idea how completely insane they sound. But Ned, is this good for Bitcoin? <laughs> it probably would be. <laughs> but that's not good for you. So That's, I'm going to take it down a notch. And I'm just going to say, if you made it this far in the podcast, I congratulate you. There's there's really only two things I want you to take away from all of this. Number one, crypto is a scam for rich people that solves nothing and does not benefit society. Number two, Web3 is a solution in search of a problem and you should run screaming from any project
1: or person who uses it. I would add a, a number three, which is, if you want to know how uncool NFTs are, Tom Brady just invested $470,000 in one. Tom Brady is approximately the most uncool person who's ever lived. Yes. and
0: This is like when your
1: grandparents got on Facebook. NFTs are over. Yes. Oh, thank God.
0: I would also, if, if folks want to know more, want to dig into the topics, I would recommend two sources that just really lay things out well. One is the video on YouTube from Folding Ideas, aka Dan Olson, called Line Goes Up. It's over two hours long. It's like two hours and 18 minutes, but there's not a wasted second in there. And it already has something like 9.6 million views. This is, yeah. if you really want to know about NFTs and crypto from the beginning moving forward and how pointless it all is, he gets into stuff that we didn't even talk about, like DAOs, we didn't even mention
1: DAOs, which I don't. No, want to this talk is about. absolutely. This is. It, I mean, it's going to feel a little bit like homework, but this is absolutely worth it.
0: The other insane thing that the person said last night was that you should think of your family as a DAO. I'm like, no, no, my oh. kids do not get tokens to vote with. That's not how this works.
1: <laughs> they don't get to vote at all. They're children. <laughs> exactly.
0: Oh. The other um, source that I would recommend is David Rosenthal's blog. And in there, there one of them is his presentation to EE380. I have a link directly to the, the blog post. And then he recently updated that post with video of his presentation. But he goes deep with a ton of links. So if you want to know about, more about like the libertarian history of crypto and all that jazz, that's all in there as well. You can go as far down the rabbit hole as you want. I went real far and managed to extract myself for this episode. You're welcome.
1: (laughs) He's not actually out. Their video is on pause in the background. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Um, The one thing I did want to add to this list is if you want practical examples, there are a number of YouTube channels that dedicate themselves to exposing and mocking scams. And especially since crypto and NFTs are the latest and hottest, There's a lot of them to observe. The one that I would recommend, their shorter videos are like eight to 12 minutes long is by someone named Spencer Cornelia. Spencer Cornelia. Okay. Yes. And I'll throw the link into the sources here as well. Uh, He doesn't just go after crypto people. He goes after um, fake influencers and fake gurus. But guess who, guess what community has really been embracing the NFTs lately?
0: Mm, Let me think about
1: that. Fake influencers and fake gurus. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Oh, I can get you rich so I can be rich. Yeah. And then we can all go down together. Lightning round? You just ruined a genius song. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh, captain, my (laughs) captain. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ranty Ned is done. Shall we lightning round? We shall. Okay.
1: Would you like to go first? Does that? Uh, Sure. Okay. Google joining AWS and Azure at the edge. Google has announced their distributed cloud and edge devices are now generally available. The distributed cloud is an integrated hardware and software solution from Google aimed at delivering telco services at the edge, along with, of course, Google AI and analytics to do real time data processing. The distributed cloud is shipped as a two top of the rack switch six server setup controlled by Google Anthos. One can only imagine that the servers are running GKE on top of a bare metal Linux installation. Google Edge Appliances are also a hardware and software solution delivered as a ruggedized 1U rack server providing NFS storage and compute capabilities in Edge deployments. It is also managed using the Anthos control plane. These two offerings closely mirror what Microsoft has done with Azure Stack Hub and Databox and AWS with Snowball Edge Computing. Generally, Google has been a little late to the party when it comes to cutting edge technology, but that also lets them learn from the stumbles of their rivals. Still don't have an ARM-based compute option in GCP though. Speaking of.
0: Arm yourself, Azure. Microsoft has ARM-based servers joining their IaaS options on Azure. The new offerings will leverage the Ampere Quicksilver Ultra ARM CPU with 80 cores and a max clock speed of 3 gigahertz. As I may have mentioned way back in episode one of Chaos Lever, Ampere has been a bit of a darling in the cloud hyperscaler space, supplying chips to Oracle and Azure and receiving millions in investment from the former. Microsoft has been using the Ampere chips in Azure to support some of their PaaS services, but this is the first time they are making them available as an Azure VM SKU. I won't try and give you all the various names and numbers, but if you're looking for these, look for the DP or EP series. You can currently run Ubuntu, CentOS, and Windows 11 on the virtual machines with support for RHEL, SUSE, and other Linux flavors coming soon. No mention of Windows Server in that list, which I find strange, but not surprising. Assuming that Microsoft has already been running their own internal PaaS software on these CPUs, the the support for Ubuntu and CentOS should give you an idea of what they're running internally. But what about price? After all, isn't that part of the big promise behind ARM CPUs? Lower power requirements for the same performance. Based on published spec CPU stats, you can expect about the same performance from the Ampere chips as a comparable AMD or Intel CPU for half the cost. That is some serious savings if you're willing to make the jump to an ARM-based instruction set. The Azure VMs are in limited preview at the moment and we've linked the blog post where you can apply to be part of the preview.
1: Insecure billionaire crybaby buys seat on Twitter's board of directors because free speech or something. Elon Musk has been, for lack of a better word, loud and annoying on Twitter for some time. That part isn't news. I mean, seriously, let's be honest. How many people already knew who I was talking about when I opened with whiny billionaire crybaby? <laughs> if you'd mentioned emeralds, you would have been in. <laughs> Well, now this insecure billionaire crybaby has dumped $2.89 billion on Twitter shares, making him the single largest shareholder at something like 9.5 percent, 9.8 percent. He has been complaining about free speech for a while, including as recently as March 25th, when he put out a Twitter poll asking free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? Hilarious for somebody that comes from South Africa. He knows that Twitter's a private company, right? Like they don't have to adhere to free speech. Oh, it's the Agora, Ned. (sighs) It's the marketplace of ideas and other terms that he doesn't understand. Fair enough. So with all that in mind, let's just, you know, let's take a walk down memory lane and remember a few of the times that Elon Musk rigorously adhered to the free speech principle. (laughs) Okay. That time, he fearlessly tried to censor his own employee who, on his own time with his own car, showed a problem with a Tesla autopilot feature that nearly resulted in a crash. When Elon failed in his censoring attempts, he heroically fired the employee. As in personally, fired the employee. Hmm. Or there was that time that he proudly allowed unchecked Russian propaganda to flow freely over his Starlink subscriptions, regardless of the fact that Russia publicly has no qualms about censorship themselves. Compare to the time he courageously tried to buy off a Twitter account owner that used public information to report on the comings and goings of his private plane because he didn't like it. That wasn't free speech, of course, that was a security risk. Back in 2018, when he gallantly made a 420 joke about making Tesla private, which of course is a company he owns and controls, Being a public company, he rightfully got slammed by the SEC to the tune of $50 million, a fine which he valorously allowed Tesla to pay for in his stead, contending that this was, quote, SEC harassment, which it wasn't, and not stock manipulation by a CEO, which it was. In 2019, when he adventurously lied again about Tesla, this time overstating production numbers, the SEC, quote, harassed him again. And again, he stalwartly asserted that lying about a public company was acceptable free speech, reminding you that this is a public company that he owns repeated times up to and including this year where he pluckily insisted that Twitter needs to do less in response to protect the public from misinformation and harassment. Oh, and I forgot the time he used Twitter to try to call a guy who was trying to help and rescue that trapped team of preteens, a pedophile. God, he sucks so much. He really does. <laughs> Needless to say, I am not a fan of any of this. There are no two ways about it. Elon Musk only cares about free speech when it's speech in his benefit. If that speech is criticism of himself, he does everything in his power to censor the life out of it.
0: Are you going to quote
1: Anil Dash? I should. To quote Anil Dash, I am trying to imagine any other context where a publicly traded company has seen a customer use their product to break federal law, to try to destroy the lives of innocent people, and then added that person to their board. And I am trying to fathom how on earth we've gotten to a place where we're totally okay with how that went. How okay are we? After the announcement, Twitter stock went up 24%.
0: At least none of it's real, Chris. At least (laughs) none of it's real. (laughs) In the not getting my hopes up category, First Light claims a nuclear fusion breakthrough. Listen, fossil fuels are awful. They're bad for the environment. They're bad for our health. And they smell. So basically, fossil fuels are just me when I was in middle school. Wind and solar continue to become more economical, but they might not be enough to displace gas and coal for good. Nuclear fusion has long been held up as the ultimate replacement for our current energy production process. But alas, the solution always appears to be at least 10 years away. And this time is no different. Although the solution is quite different than most current efforts... The majority of fusion reactors are based on using high-power lasers and magnets to create the necessary conditions for a sustained nuclear reaction. But British company First Light has a more novel solution. Bullets. (laughs) Yeah, you would think they were from America. Seriously, though, their reactor uses a gas-powered gun to fire a tungsten projectile at about 6.5 kilometers per second at a target containing a small deuterium capsule. The structure of that capsule focuses the impact energy and generates a fusion reaction, the heat of which is absorbed by a lithium mixture flowing through the chamber. First light has successfully tested their tech and verifiably produced a fusion reaction. Now the challenge is to scale up the reactor and increase the power of the reaction. The relative simplicity of the design and common components could lead to a more affordable and smaller reactor, producing an estimated 150 megawatts of electricity. First Light wants to have working reactors within a decade, you know, just like every other fusion technology out there. At first, I was incredulous, but instead of firing from the hip, I took a look at their technology and I think they really have a shot i'm so sorry i'll see myself out (laughs) hey thanks for listening or something you are truly a gentle person and a scholar possibly even a professor emeritus which is like a cool professor who skateboards and lets you cut class to smoke doobies out the quad that's how cool that's Hmm?
1: that's not what professor emeritus means yes it is
0: you shut up (laughs) that's how cool you are friend out there flinging bees and smoking L's. Righteous. You can find Chris and me on Twitter at hainer 80 and Ned1313, respectively. Or you could follow the show at Chaos Lever, if that's the kind of thing you're into. You weird sicko. Show notes are available at ChaosLever.com if you like reading things, which you shouldn't. Podcasts continue in their winning streak of being better in every conceivable way. We'll be back next week to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta ta for now.